I am a real documentarian. Fight for the rights of Werner Herzog. What up, docu-skanks? It's kind of the new name I'm trying out on you guys. Give me some feedback uh, at Podcast at Gmail if you like that, docu-skank. I am super excited about today's episode. I really want to get into it. Drew is with me on this one, but this is not a 30 for 30. We watched, as of this recording, it came out last Tuesday. It's an HBO original documentary about Andre the Giant, and it's called, what do you know, Andre the Giant. And this one's all about the fun of wrestling and the wrestling of my childhood. And that made this very entertaining to me, but it's also a real human and touching story. So if you got that HBO Go or uh, your aunt's HBO Go password, you know you got some old-ass relative with HBO Go and never uses the streaming service. That's how you get it, man. That's how you break the system. Just like Andre broke wrestlers. Oh, I should point out that at some point, Hulk Hogan's real name is Terry Balea. I believe I call him Jerry at some point, but it's Terry. So you don't want that dude to uh, sue you for getting his fucking name wrong. Let's choke slam our way into this film, Andre the Giant, by Jason Heher, HBO original, Bill Simmons produce Keep on a dock. Now, here is a motion picture film, a thousand feet, 16,000 separate photographs. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. He was a god, literally the biggest celebrity in the world. He is at once a real human, but at the same time, a mythological figure. Triple A. Actually, that was one of my favorite parts. I can't wait to get to that. You know, Drew, this movie that we're talking about today, I feel like it has very good timing for me personally. You know, I've been going through a wrestle songs lately. Doesn't mean I'm turning on Raw and watching it. No. Doesn't mean you're oiling yourself up at home. I do baby oil myself, but I've been doing that for years. Before I go to work or church, I baby oil the shit out of myself. Inject yourself with massive amounts of steroids. <laughs> yes. But I've been kind of revisiting a lot of my favorite childhood wrestlers on YouTube channels and watching clips of promos and stuff, old Roddy Piper clips and Macho Man's my favorite. Oh, yeah. He does the best promo junk. I still love Slim Jims just because of him. Yeah. Not because of how they taste like, you know. Greasy refuge of a cow. At the Pred- Predators game, game one, I'm sure he was at game two, there was a guy dressed like Macho Man in Nashville Predators. Are you color. talking about the ultimate Predator? No, he wears a mask, like a luchador mask. We're talking about someone else. Uh, not, my apologies to the Macho Predator. Well, Macho Man lived in Nashville, where we are now. Right now. With wrestling, I feel like the most boring part is the wrestling itself. All the silly junk in between is like my favorite part. You like the soap opera. I do. I mean, sometimes the wrestling is fun, especially when they're very athletic and can jump around. But but now with the internet today, I have the opportunity to just see 
my favorite silly promos and stuff over and over again. And Andre the Giant, the subject of our film today. Entitled Andre the Giant. By Jason Heher. Heher? Heher. Heher. It's spelled H-E-H-I-R. Jason Heher. 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 He's produced a few things. I think he's produced some 30 for 30s. And he's a director. He's directed a little bit. Probably most notably, uh, he co-directed Michael Buble meets Madison Square Garden. Whoa. And Drew, this is your first non-30 for 30. It is. This is I an H- know. This is an HBO original doc. Oh, this was a bigger deal. We should have had cake. Well, I got some shitty frozen coconut cake that is not really very good. You're welcome to that. Well, hell, I guess we got cake. I really Thanks. sold you on it. Yeah. You want the shitty food in my fridge? <laughs> That's what you get when you come do a non thirty for thirty podcast. <laughs> uh, the uh, the juniors cheesecake was, was eight. It wasn't able to hold out. Maybe for a thirty for thirty, you don't mess around with that. We'll break out of juniors, but uh, sorry, we got we just got shitty Pepperidge Farm. Talking cheesecake, we'll we'll shout out juniors for sure, and shout out some Whistle Stop and Pepperidge Farm might be better than juniors. <laughs> oh really? A little blasphemy there, but Whoa. Whistle Stop, yeah, a, a borough might. Get lit on fire for those words. Inside baseball. New Yorkers, you know what he's talking about. <laughs> I'm from New York. It's a terrible Andre the Giant accent. <laughs> from New York. But yeah, we're talking about the HBO original documentary. Come on, just try it. You're Andre and you're New York at the same time. That's what we came for. We're done here. I'm not locking up. I'm not editing this at all. <laughs> That's what I was here for. We're done. Close the door. <laughs> five out of five. <laughs> We're talking about the HBO original documentary, Andre the Giant by Jason Heer. Oh, pardon me. Michael Buble meets Madison Square Garden co-director Jason Heer. Hot off the presses. This one just came out. Last Tuesday, as of this recording... This was released. We're firing up the hot freshness for you guys this time on Documenteers. Bob, thanks for calling me in here for this special emergency meeting for hot freshness. This movie was getting some buzz even before it came out. So I knew this is a good one. And this is one we would enjoy. We wanted to watch it anyways. And it's nice taking a little break from the 30 for 30s for at least one episode. You say that, but we got a lot to get through. So yeah, keep knocking these things out. We got a lot. I'm going to call ESPN and tell them to stop making some for a little while. So we'll have time to get through them. I do love those 30 for 30s. Uh, Just one moment. Ladies and gentlemen, making their way to the ring at seven feet tall, weighing 75 pounds from Southside, Tennessee. Welcome, Bob Shayam! Why do I agree to these things? And their challenger, making their way to the ring at four feet, one one inches tall, weighing 375 pounds, from Long Beach, New York, Drew Wilson! Now that we're here, 
Just judging by those dimensions that you gave us, yeah, you are going to get destroyed. Oh, shit. That's true. <laughs> I'm very emaciated. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm a living bowling ball. Bring it on. We open up on some big-ass feet. Size 22s. Andre, described as a fairy tale drawing, come to life. He's the eighth wonder of the world. He's Andre the Giant. And giants apparently get introduced with a minor key. He grew up in a place called... Correct me if I'm wrong here. Molien, M-O-L-I-E-N. Oh, yeah, I'll get right on correcting you on that one. 40 miles east of Paris, we meet Andre's brother, Antoine the Giant. I was totally shocked that this was a fancy French documentary. I did not expect that going into it. Yeah. And then right after the Minor Key Giant intro, we get vineyards and the green fields of France and everything subtitles. And that's the way it remains the entire rest of the movie. It, it, it was very pretty to look at all that stuff. I felt very calmed by the countryside of France. You think the giant part, but this is the André. André. Or rather, the Jean Ferret. <laughs> That's right. André the Giant, not his first stage name. No, but we'll get to that in a moment. It's André's his actual name. He was a normal baby, and then he hit about 15, and he just started growing. And at 16, 17, he was really going. Uh, he played rugby but would train with wrestlers. His first sport was apparently soccer, which blows my mind, picturing Andre yeah. the Giant playing soccer. But this was before he hit his growth spurt at 15. He's also European, so they're going to throw a soccer ball at him. That's just kind of like, what the hell right there, though. <laughs> Imagining this normal child that is a member of your family. You know, it's nice to meet his family, his parents, his brother. And then 15, 16, he's a giant. Stick him on goal. Goalie. So we get pictures in black and white of a skinny Andre the Giant. And then they say he's 309 pounds at age 19. That's what skinny Andre the Giant is. He looks like a beanpole. He's so damn tall. Yeah, and he was young, and he was was more narrow, but he was big. And he was like a good-looking dude, too. Handsome man. So handsome that they gave him a great nickname, the Great Fairy. That's what Jean Ferret means. (laughs) Apparently, it was based on a French folk hero named Frey. They give him a nice lumberjack vibe. I think it's that uh, Justin Timberlake, Man of the Woods. Yeah, he lives not too far from here. His property touches some property that my in-laws own. No shit. No shit. That jiggly white boy, (laughs) he lives right over there. I do like that they gave tall, skinny, young Andre the Giant a wrestling theme, a lumberjack theme, when he goes into wrestling. They're like, all right, here's your gig, son. You're enormous. You're beating the hell out of everyone else. You're a man of the woods. You live in the woods. You lumberjack. Lumberjacking is all you know <laughs> until you also become a wrestler. It's how you eat. is breaking wood, <laughs> gnawing on it. And we're going to call you the Great Fairy. Jean Ferret. Yeah, it reminded me, obviously, of Paul Bunyan. Yeah, I guess that mythology is a little uh, universal, huh? Is for, was Ferret a, a, a lumberjack, I assume? The mythological French folk era. I think that's what they're going for. Yeah, I guess so. It must have been fairly obscure, though, because they kind of brought him in as Jean Ferret himself. And Andre, of course, still growing. I believe around this point, he's seven foot one, 376 pounds. He starts his wrestling career. He just kind of like fell into it by accident, mm-hmm. by being large and training with other wrestling people and then continuing to get larger and larger and larger all the time. To the point where people couldn't take their eyes off this guy. And this dude's moving from going all over the world now. And he's in Japan. I think they called him Monster Usima or something like that. I like the idea of Andre the Giant in Japan. Just because it's like that Chappelle show skit times 50. (laughs) 
Just imagining Andre the Giant in Japan. You know, Japan has a great history of pro wrestling as well. Even to this day, WWF superstars have come over from Japan. We just saw in this year's version of WrestleMania. New Japan Main event. Yeah. So picturing Andre the Giant getting his start there, it seems very out of place, but at the same time, it kind of works. Yeah, when you get the context of that business as you learn more about it, they all go their way through Japan all over the world. And Puerto Rico is a big place as well. But he finally makes it over to North America where he's working for Grand Prix Wrestling in 1971, I believe it was. And they know what they have right away. They're like, holy shit, this is, this is a standout. This is something that people are coming to watch. This is something different than what we've had going on before. Now he's up to seven foot four and 415 pounds. North American wrestling at this time, it wasn't the big brand that we have now with some smaller upstart brands. The whole country was split into wrestling sectional areas. Memphis was very big. And then you had Smoky Mountain Wrestling. And what was the the Grand Prix Wrestling? Is that what you said it was called? That was his first one. I don't even think that was one of the territorial ones. That was just kind of a minor league that got him when he first came to North America. And he was originally out of Canada. Yeah. He was wrestling out of Montreal, which makes sense since he was from France. Yeah, hard family. Canada has been huge in professional wrestling for a long time. 70s disco wrestling, so corny. Nice montage of incredibly corny disco wrestling. There's an Ayatollah in every region. He wrestled a lot in the Midwest when he first arrived in the country, but in certain places, say, you'd almost get different names. In Detroit, they called him the Polish Giant, and they would get confused as to where he came from. And a promoter was asking what he'd been called, and he says, Jean Ferre, the Giant Fairy, Promoter's like, uh, I'm not, what's your name, dude? This is him getting one out of Chicago. And the Chicago, I just love the Chicago guy being like, and eh, no to the giant fairy. <laughs> yeah, maybe not a good idea, buddy. That's not a good Chicago. Uh, that's not your Chicago. Oh, go, go with the bears. She don't want that. Uh, no, no, you get a, my wife makes a great uh, Italian uh, beef. We'll, uh, we'll leave the accents for a little later. Yeah, yeah. But I do like this image of them calling up. They said, we've got this. This monster wrestler is getting huge draws everywhere. They're talking to his Canadian-based booking agent or whatever. They say, we have Jean Ferry, the giant fairy. What's his actual name? Andre. <laughs> Good enough. Andre, he's a giant. Done. We don't need anything else. We don't need the lumberjack backstory. We see uh, Andre talking to some announcer, I guess, in some Midwestern venue. The announcer intros him, and Andre, I, I don't think he was speaking any other language. He was just saying, hey, it's a pleasure to meet you. Guy didn't know what he was saying. He was kind of a dick about it. He's like, oh, CCC, I think that's Spanish. I know. It's you just boy, can't it's hear Andre. Yeah. We'll see that as a theme throughout the movie is it's kind of hard to understand Andre the Giant sometimes. Now, the WWF, now called the WWE, uh, started rolling. I believe that started out of Connecticut, right? He was a big deal in the territorial times. And we got a nice breakdown here of 70s wrestling. And it was based on TV markets. You only had local TV. So as far as each TV station reached, they had their own kind of territory of wrestling. So you'd have different promotions, and the big draws would travel from one to the other sometimes. But everybody had their hometown heroes. And Vince McMahon's dad, also named Vince, the way this thing seems to go when you have these uh, egotistical legacy acts. <laughs> Vince McMahon's dad is a big deal in this because he's got New York as part of his Northeast Territory. So, you know, you got New York, you're going to make some money. And he sees Andre the Giant. He gets him loaned out basically at the end of Andre's tour. Andre's already been to the Midwest. He's been to Florida. He's been to Canada. Now he makes it up to this Northeast Corridor. He plays New York. And Vince McMahon Sr. is like, this guy's mine. You're 
going to be a star. You're going to work for me. Forget all this <laughs> traveling. I'll loan you out to the other ones. And he's not explained, but he's not working for Montreal anymore. Now he's working for Vince McMahon Sr. Vince Sr. <laughs> built, sells him like a sideshow, too, and it is working. It was said that Andre's hands were the exact same size as like a lowland gorilla. I wonder if they ever like got a gorilla to hold their hand up and then Andre placed the palm of his hand against the gorilla's hand. Well, they had this guy saying that he compared it to the hand of a lowland gorilla and they were the same size. Where the hell did he get the hand of a lowland gorilla? This guy's not telling all he could. Go buy some bush meat. But those hand photos, they're absolutely insane. I mean, look, we've probably all seen those by now. Pictures of Andre the Giant's hand. Beer can just kind of in the middle of it, looking like an airplane (laughs) bottle of liquor next to the hand of the person doing the interview or the article about him. It's insane, the difference. Everything's different, they mention in this. You know, every part of him has grown together. Jerry Lawler pointed out that Andre was instantly famous in these wrestling circuits, but you couldn't put him up too much, especially not on TV, because people wanted to have that special moment of seeing this guy for the first time. And having the giant walk into the stadium or wherever these were, probably not stadiums at the time, is still just an incredible wow moment because you might not have seen him. And that's one of the reasons he got loaned out so much to different ones. So all these different areas could have that moment of seeing Andre live and in person. They might not have known anything about him except for maybe a Xerox zine or a flyer or something. It's a different time. But they keep billing him out at all these different ones. And his weight is different at pretty much every one of these things. Pretty much anywhere between 400 pounds and almost 500. But he's always 7'4", which makes me think that that, at least that measurement is probably pretty exact. Andre was undefeated throughout the majority of his career. He arrived in North America pretty well trained. He He started this at a very young age. He could make it exciting for wrestlers to appear like they're hurting him. But, of course, Andre was Andre. And he would always win the match. That was a nice point they threw in there. They said that he was he was good to the other wrestlers as long as they respected his boundaries. Otherwise, he would fuck their shit up. <laughs> but as long as they respected Andre, he didn't use his celebrity just for himself. He had no problem making other guys bigger by going in the ring against him and selling their work, making, it look, making them look really good. But he would still come out on top because, honestly, who would believe they'd beat Andre the Giant? Yeah, we got Hulk's first appearance, wearing his own T-shirt, <laughs> looking course. pretty great. Because you know you can't tell the Andre the Giant story without Hulk Hogan in it. So it's a little surprising we got this far into the movie without seeing him. But now he's interviewed, and he's totally invested, Ben. He says, you know, from the moment he saw Andre the Giant, he's like, this is a game changer. I was hooked immediately, brother. Andre was pretty much the only guy in the entire business at this point who, if he's on the card, it's a sellout. It is a game changer. He's undefeated. He's selling out everywhere. He's getting passed around everywhere to everywhere. Vince McMahon Sr. making him do feats of strength to build him up in the uh, (laughs) thing. It's great to watch, but he's also kind of pimping him out a bit. Yeah, for sure. You know, the McMahons pimping, that's what they do, right? But Andre was really proud. That in all these fights and against all these different local wrestlers and everything, he never hurt anybody. They said this was a really big deal to him. That he was, you know, he worked with other wrestlers so well that despite being a giant, an actual living giant, he never hurt anyone. Vince McMahon Jr. pointed out that Andre was nice, but if he didn't like you, watch out. We see a clip of a bloody Andre 
straight up be screaming at a ringside announcer. We can't understand a word he's saying. Can't understand what he's saying. But it's not in any kind of script or expected um, thing. And you see other announcers looking on like, oh, shit, that dude's actually really pissed off. And they're probably terrified because they have this whole buildup of Andre as a gentle giant. And then him getting legitimately pissed off and angry at somebody. It must have been uh, just (laughs) terrifying for everyone involved. I could imagine. Oh, God, what happens if if he goes wild? I could imagine that there were probably moments where maybe they're in the moment Andre gets pissed. At first, you think it's a part of the show. And then there's a turn like, oh, oh, God, no. Oh, God, no. Well, I do say this. He would straighten out any wrestler who got out of line or didn't respect his moves. They had Big John Studd in there, who was big, but he's not Andre Big. But his whole stick was being big. You know, he's this blonde guy. He's a big-ass dude. Walks in, steps over the top rope. Wait, that's Andre's move. That's Andre's move. So Andre just makes an entire show of whooping his ass all over the ring, showing him who the real giant is. And until Big John Studd runs outside saying, this guy's going to kill me (laughs) on his way out of the ring. He's like, nope, I'm done with this. Uh, Hulk Hogan pointed out, and I'm sure Hogan enjoyed saying this because he and Macho Man feuded up until Randy Savage's death, that Andre hated the Macho Man. And the Macho Man was like a showy, loudmouth kind of dude. The Macho Man would oil up before a match, and Andre would come in, No, baby, let's go. That was pretty good, but you know who else is really good at impressions? Hulk Hogan. Oh, yeah. His Andre is pretty good. His Macho Man's pretty good. <laughs> Although he makes fun of Macho Man calling everybody brother. Dude, you're Hulk Hogan. You kind of stole that from him in the first place. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. He's the most brotheriest dude ever. <laughs> All right, at one point, uh, Hulk Hogan says that, while Andre's beating Macho Man, pretty much for real. Randy Savage does not look like he's having fun in these clips. <laughs> he's yelling, this is for you, Elizabeth. And you'll remember Miss Elizabeth, Drew. Uh, he, she, in real life, was married to the Macho Man. But Macho Man was extremely jealous type and very possessive of, of Elizabeth. And he bottled her up until she ran off to other wrestlers' penises. They made it into a card when they were doing that, too. That yeah. was always a big talking point, was the other wrestlers were going for Elizabeth. But, yeah, <laughs> having Andre yell that, that can't feel good if you're Macho Man. But it, <laughs> but Macho Man was legit possessive. of. But Macho Man was one of those guys that couldn't turn it off. Yeah. He was <laughs> pretty much the Macho Man all the time. But Hulk feuded with Macho Man up to his death, so that's, like, another way Hulk Hogan can kind of, like, Kick a little bit on the macho man. They were really respectful of Andre, though. Hulk and Vince McMahon both saying that Andre basically understood sports entertainment before any of them thought to make it sports entertainment. He made the wrestling into a show. The way he would sell other guys' moves, make it look like dramatic, like they hurt the giant before he would rise up and, you know, destroy them. Andre, of course, getting more and more famous. He apparently tries out for the Redskins. I think he loved the team name. Publicity stuff. <laughs> I don't know if we know his feelings on the team. <laughs> he was the Sasquatch in the $60 million man. He looked great. This is fantastic. 
Before CGI, there was Andre the Giant. He owned that role. That's a clip from the, the trailers for this documentary, because it's a great fucking line. And he looks so good as the Sasquatch, <laughs> just tearing a tree out of the ground. <laughs> it looked cool. It's good, man. And we get one of the better stories of it, too, with Arnold Schwarzenegger coming in there. <laughs> yeah, but Arnold tells a story about how he picks him up like baby Arnold. Arnold tries to insist on paying for dinner when they went out together. And Andre just says, I pay. I pay dinner. <laughs> Picks Arnold Schwarzenegger up. What is Arnold? Arnold's like, he put me on an armoire like a doll. All right, Arnold. <laughs> I like to rehearse that line. Andre commanded great respect. He intimidated the shit out of men. But women, they liked Andre. Like a magnet. They never talk about that in the whole documentary. The only way it is is creep-ass Ric Flair alluding to it a couple times. <laughs> He's got size 24 feet. What do you think that means? <laughs> well, the nature boy expects aberrations of nature. Yeah. Andre loved the party. <laughs> and apparently he has drinking tells that are legendary. This guy... He'd start with a case, 24. That's his starter. Ric Flair says, and he swore up and down, he once saw Andre drink 106 beers. This is a big dude, but what the fuck? He's a giant. Everything's a giant. I guess his liver is giant, too. They said that was his minimum, 24 beers after the show. He would start his day with a case of wine. I mean, they glossed glossed over a lot of stuff in this documentary. This is obviously a loving, glowing tribute to Andre the Giant. Mostly. But they, you can't tell the Andre story without the drinking stories. Because it's just so legendary. And they throw it in there. They say just straight up, he was probably the greatest drinker in the world. As well as one of the most famous people, let alone wrestlers. One thing you will see a lot if you look up wrestling YouTube interviews. There's a lot of shit out there. Because there's a lot of dudes just asking like mean questions for the sake of it. But there's no shortage of wrestlers telling Andre the Giant drinking stories. That's uh, that's its own internet hole you can go down. And these numbers are insane. We've done our fair share of drinking in these days. You want to start your day off with a case of wine? I think I had the most I've ever had was 13, 13 beers in a night. I blacked out. I was also doing other stupid shit that night, too. <laughs> What's the most beers you've ever drank? It's not quite Andre the Giant-ish, but uh, <laughs> we, we've spent a lot, of, a lot of numbers out there, too. And it also resulted in a blackout. Yep. We got some. We want to get into our own drinking stories as an addendum here. <laughs> They're not going to hold up to Andre. You can't do that after Andre the Giant drinking that's stories, man. <laughs> We're at least in the twenties here. It's like but race. that's over the course of an entire night, not your uh, after after performance snack or whatever he's doing. Just a refresher. Us throwing up our drinking stories after telling an Andre drinking story. It's like Ray Stevens going on after James Brown. It's just going to be very underwhelming. But we also get Andre drinking stories. We get some good stuff like when Andre drank so much, he actually managed to pass out in a hotel. And everybody who was with him was just like, ah, what do we do? Nobody's picking him up and taking him to bed. He's in bed. <laughs> they say, what are you going to do, call AAA? <laughs> get to the next day, Hulk Hogan's like, oh, I was there. I mean, I wasn't there when that drinking was happening, but I was there the next day, and Andre was just asleep on the floor because they couldn't do anything with him. Passed out on the hotel room floor. We get a story from Tim White, and he walks into the locker room with a camera. And he's very new at this point. And this camera, he sees 
Andre playing cards with Tito Santana, another wrestler. And there's a thing where in the locker room, referees and wrestlers only. Nobody else. No one knows who Tim White is at the time. And Andre is like, hey, what are you doing with that camera? And he's like, oh, it's all right. I work here. I thought they were buddies. They met each other now. Yeah. I got with you guys, right? And Andre chases him out of the locker room, trying to play it off. And then it's like, oh, shit, I need to get the fuck out of here. Yeah, he's laughing a little bit, and then Andre pushes the table away, and he's like, I hope I wore my brown pants today. But they would go on to become best friends once they got to know each other. And we get a lot of Andre testimony from Tim White throughout this movie. You love his beard. His beard is truly awful. But he's got a good job now. Him and Andre are best friends, and they travel together a lot. So he's the guy who has pretty much inside access to Andre the Giant. And he probably smelled a whole lot of his farts. Andre loved to laugh. <laughs> his favorite thing in the world is fart jokes. He loved fart jokes. How long were you saving that up for? <laughs> Ten seconds. Not bad, but they say Andre could let it go for 30 seconds. Just hold it if he got you alone in an elevator. Said he almost got him kicked off planes sometimes. Apparently these were brutal. Too much to bear uh, into a room with. Andre sounds really funny. He does seem like a lot of fun. <laughs> Vince McMahon points out that you could say anything about Andre and people would believe it. He talked about how he would tell people that he had multiple teeth, like a shark's teeth. He told that to Ric Flair. This is good timing, too, because we were watching this documentary, and Andre does like to laugh. He's got this great smile. It's really it's really warm and genuine. But his teeth, are they seem like they're normal-sized teeth. So in his head, it looks like a giant row of tiny teeth. <laughs> I don't know how many teeth he has, but it looks like it might be more than a normal human. It did look like that. And they play this prank on people. They tell them that he had two rows of teeth like a shark, that he had two hearts because he needed them to pump blood through <laughs> his gigantic body. And Ric Flair buys all of this. Oh, okay. Woo! But man, they get into some of the darker parts of being Andre, too. You don't think about this when you watch him. At least I didn't until I'm watching the documentary here. Everything sucked for Andre yeah. in his normal life. Nothing can, was built for him. Yeah, he can't get a chair that fits him. He can't get a bed that fits him. He travels all the time. In normal people-sized planes and buses, he can't even get a regular car. And he's a workhorse, so he's traveling 300 days on the road. They're even saying there's no Andre forks and knives. Yeah, can you imagine trying to eat with a knife and fork if you have hands the size of Andre? There are just places this guy could not go to. Like the bathroom on a plane. Yeah. He couldn't get in. <laughs> they had to make special arrangements for him, which must be nice. Everything was like... embarrassing when you're a giant. Everything was like baby furniture to Andre. He had to have two airplane seats. And they talked about how he had to pee into a bucket on planes sometimes and they would have to dump it. And Andre was very sensitive about these things. He got so famous to a point where people would just... They would approach him. They would touch him because he was such a fascinating-looking person. He did enjoy the fame, and he did enjoy the spotlight. But there, in his life, unless he was alone in a hotel room, you just could not turn it off. And that weighed heavy on him. That was such a good point because he could never hide from it. He could never take a day off from being Andre the Giant. They compare his fame at his peak to Muhammad Ali's fame. But like Even Ali, who everybody in the world knew at this one point, he could put on a hat and some glasses and kind of blend away for a minute. Andre the Giant couldn't put on a hat and some glasses and not be Andre the Giant. What the hell's his car? They mentioned this a few times, that he couldn't have a normal car. Does that mean he had some sort of Andre the Giant-sized car? Because I wanted to see that. Why the hell didn't they show us some crazy Andre Pope-mobile? Yeah, they show him in a, like a convertible with some ladies, but... Uh... Yeah, he needed some kind of 
Popemobile. Rode on <laughs> the back of trucks a lot, I assume. Oh, man, that would be hella coming down the street and up next to you. <laughs> uh, your mind would snap <laughs> watching a giant in the back of a pickup pass you on the highway. Yeah, you could not help but stare at that. You, you, you kind of can't blame people for just being so slack-jawed with this guy around. But there was something about the elements that made him so fascinated made people very judgmental and presumptuous at the same time. When we get soon into the Hogan era of things and how he turns in those, it is a little even rougher on him. You feel bad for Andre there, especially when his buddy Tim White's over there telling him that Andre would tell him all the time he would wish for just one day a week he could be like you. Mm. Just one day a week he didn't have to be Andre the Giant. He could be normal-sized and experience what it was like to sleep in a normal bed and not have people come up trying to put their hand against his all day. Andre would eventually move to the country in North Carolina where he befriended these folks that became like a family to him and helped him take care of the property because there was only so much Andre could do. He's traveling all the time, but he moves them into his house and basically makes himself a little surrogate family at this farm in North Carolina that... I guess reminds him of his family's farm in France where he's from. And these people, they end up meaning a lot to Andre. They love him unconditionally as they would a member of their own family. That holds relevant throughout his life. We speak to one woman, Jackie McCauley, who was around during those days. They also drop a little mini bombshell here where she talks about Andre's daughter. The wrestling world does not leave a lot of room for decent fatherhood. And Andre had a great deal of regrets not being able to see his daughter for most of her life. But his daughter, Robin Christensen, she points out that, well, those days did hurt. and But she was thankful for the time she did get to see him when she would get to go to a SummerSlam or something and he'd sit on her knee. But she ultimately forgives him. And she said that she thought he was a good man. And I know in his heart, he deeply regretted not being able to see me grow up. It was definitely a humanizing moment that she, she lived with her mother on the West Coast. And when he came to town, he would see them. It wasn't like he was completely cut out of their life or something. But it seemed sort of a mutual agreement between the mother, between Andre, that they didn't want to try to raise a daughter in the world of professional wrestling. That's true. With him traveling nonstop and, you know, the backstage stuff that was going on. Unless it was you, just kind of better for everybody. <laughs> unless you want your daughter to grow up in doing wrestling, it really isn't a very cohesive environment at all. And also, just his condition, which there is apparently a name for, would make just your average everyday life very difficult. You going to try the name? Acromegaly. Oh, sounds right. Acromegaly. 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 Which contributes to his giantism condition. That's the technical term for it. When they mention his doctor visit, this absolutely blows me away when they say that he never stopped growing. What never. the hell? His whole life, he's still growing. At this point, when he's already Andre the Giant, he's still getting bigger. This leads to all sorts of horrible health problems for him, too. Apparently, it has something to do with his pituitary gland. Didn't they say there was like a tumor on it that forced growth or something? And they said they, could, they couldn't they could reverse it and have him shrink back into a normal man. That would have been fucking weird. But, but they, they could have treated it. They could have treated it. Put it under control. It. But Andre didn't like going to the doctors. He didn't want to do anything that would mess with his wrestling career. They said he, he really never went to the doctors until he broke his ankle. And the doctors told him he'd be lucky to live till 40 with the condition he had now. And yeah. all this stuff, all this weight, all this giantism was putting a little bit too much stress on the rest of his body. 
He said uh, this doctor who he said uh, he'd never even heard of Andre the Giant before he walked into his office. Funny, because even at this point, this dude is world globally famous. He pointed out that he had this sort of fracture that people aren't usually capable of walking on. And this guy is putting 400 plus pounds of pressure on this. They also say that Andre's ankle bone was about the size of what? A normal human's femur? Because mind-blowing. But Andre refused because he needed to wrestle. That's how he made his money. And these treatments would have gotten in the way of that. But they say without it, he'll be lucky to live till 40. But in the meantime, he gets his ankle fixed up with a 10-pound cast on it. Jesus. (laughs) We see clips of young Vince McMahon. A young Vince McMahon, I remember when I was a kid, inside announcer type, weirded me out seeing him so young. I'm used to him looking like... We're used to that leathery McMahon now. Yeah, leather McMahon. We've had leather McMahon for a long time. This, like, young, sleek McMahon. He's very strange. Where? Who is he? I like how we're watching a movie about an actual freak of nature, and you're creeped out by young Vince McMahon. (laughs) That's right. That's weird. I I don't know about this guy whose ankle bones are the size of femurs, but young Vince McMahon, that's weird. His stare gets more lizard-like when he gets older, too. You notice? He seemed like he had some real life in him back then. He was on that hustle for sure, young Vince. He bought his dad out of the company, and he saw the onset of cable TV come in and said, look, this territory deal that we had with wrestling, now that there's cable TV that it can go worldwide, I can film right here in my place in in New York and send it out to the entire country. National takeover, McMahon style. And McMahon starts cherry-picking great wrestlers from different regions. Yeah, he's taking all the regional top talent, bringing them over to his fledgling WWF, and it works. National takeover. It's getting huge. One dude he picks up, Jerry Jean Balea, who Vince Sr. would dub Hulk Hogan. After a couple of uh, failed nicknames earlier. This gentleman to my left from uh, Port Tampa, Florida, Sterling Golden. Hulk Hogan gets huge. He stars in Rocky Three. We all remember that. Thunderlips. After that, (laughs) Hulkamania explodes. Hulk Hogan would beat the Iron Sheik for the heavyweight title. After that match, Andre, who was actually friends with Hulk Hogan, dumps champagne on him and congratulates him, which is really funny because you could tell that he really nailed Hogan in the eyes (laughs) because Hogan is just spinning an extreme amount of time just trying to get booze out of his eyeballs. Sorry, dude. The giant doesn't have that much depth perception on your tiny head. But Hogan's the epitome of a Vince McMahon wrestler. He just looks like an action figure come to life. He's got the 24-inch pythons. We all remember that. Not the Attitude Era of WWF, as it later became known, but wrestlers with an idea, personality. And Hogan definitely, he had a charisma. He's often criticized that his actual wrestling ability was not so hot. And if you watch old videos of it, they're not wrong. The guy's got like five moves. He shakes and stares. But he could get pumped up, and kids loved him. And when I was a kid, I fucking loved him. He could play to the crowd, man. You were a little holster, weren't you? When I got a little older, I started getting into like Roddy Piper and Macho Man. When I was a little kid, Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior were my jam. Watching interviews of old wrestlers, everyone fucking hates the Ultimate Warrior. He's dead now, too. The Ultimate Warrior went a bit crazy in his later years. I'm sure there's a documentary on it somewhere. (laughs) We need one. Well, WrestleMania 1 goes down, and it's huge. Like, fucking Muhammad Ali is there. Andy Warhol, for some reason, is there. I mean, it kind of makes sense if you think about it. A big pop spectacle. 
I can see Andy Warhol wanting to get in on that. I like them interviewing Andy Warhol about what he thinks of WrestleMania. I'm speechless. But it's the biggest thing ever. It's WrestleMania 1. This is 1985. Hulk Hogan's coming off that Thunderlips appearance. His championship. He's on Sports Illustrated. People are paying attention to wrestling like it's a real sport. He should have stuck with Thunderlips. <laughs> what a nickname, man. I'm sure they came up with that. There's a lot of good, good talking heads in this one. Rosters, there's Jerry Lawler, there's Ric Flair, there's Mean Gene Okerlund a whole lot. And even the personalities I don't care for as much as people, uh, they do have sincere moments in this movie. And they're all just blown away by the ambition of this WrestleMania one that McMahon's doing now that he's got a nationwide event. It's a sea change in the world of wrestling. Taking over, the territories are basically dead now, and there's one nationwide thing. It's just an absolute change from the way business was done. He saw cable TV, he saw nationwide, and he made his move at the right time. He picked up the top talent, and now they're all coming together in this WrestleMania, and it works. It's absolutely huge. Wrestling and wrestlers become more famous than ever. It becomes kind of a cool thing to be a wrestler. And Andre gets a role written for him, and he gets to play uh, an infamous character in a beloved movie, Fezzik in The Princess Bride. That's a classic movie. It's going to be hard for me, honestly, as a fan, to not talk about Andre the Giant in The Princess Bride pretty much the entire time. He was that you know ideal in that movie. I didn't know, know this. Again, as many times as we've seen that movie, had no idea the author of the book is apparently a giant Andre the Giant fan. Let's see what I did there. Yeah, giant on, yeah. <laughs> yeah, applause. Giant, giant fan right there. So he wrote this character almost with Andre the Giant in mind. So when it came time to cast for the movie, there's only one guy who can play him. So he gets his interview with director Rob Reiner is there. Rob Reiner doesn't know what he's saying. Can't understand a word he says. Hires him anyways. Robin Wright gets to tell a great story about being on set and they're filming in the woods and she's cold. So Andre puts his hand over her head and it covers her entire head down to her ears and she's warm now. That's awfully nice of Andre to just stand there with his hand over her head, warming her up. And Andre's drinking never slowed down on this set. He was often drunk on set. I love Billy Crystal. Brought in here, we finally get to see Billy Crystal. He gets to talk about how they have a 500-pound giant drunk on set most of the time. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great to be Billy Crystal acting among that? <laughs> Being held up by wires often. He couldn't fit on an actual horse, so they had to hold him on wires on the horse. <laughs> I bet horses ran away from Andre the Giant. Just lowering a 500-pound drunken giant onto a horse like this. Yeah, that's my life. That's what this is right now. But Kerry always, he points out that Andre drank constantly because he was always in pain. We started getting into more sad aspects of the life of Andre the Giant. Andre hadn't been wrestling much at this point. Just a little bit. He has had some injuries. He had his ankle injury that was talked about a lot. But his back is a real problem. And his neck. And again, it's just the strain of holding up this giant body. His knees are a problem as well, but the back is the biggest one for him. And they say there were some shocking parts in the movie. They thought his acting would be a big problem. But the role was basically written for him, so he fit right in. His fight scenes were a problem. He had trouble actually doing the fight scenes. And at one point, when Robin Wright jumps into his arms, they couldn't even do that. He couldn't 
hold her up like that with his back the way it was. So they had to have her on the wires so he could actually hold her, which is, again, just and just he, shocking to hear. That's how broken down he was becoming. I because she was a she wasn't like a big woman, you know, and this is Andre the Giant. Like Andre the Giant, six, seven years ago, could have held up ten Robin Wrights, but now he's just having a hard time holding up this small woman. Billy Crystal says that the reality of who he was was setting in. That's kind of really sad the way it's phrased. And what it makes you think of, it's it's a Ming story among stories of talking about drinking 20 bottles of wine at a time in the morning. But it's because he, this reality of who he was, he was having all this physical pain. He knew he was going to die young. He'd been told that by every doctor. It was kind of hard to be Andre the Giant there. And after this movie's over, he tells Vince McMahon that he's done. But... Vince McMahon hears him out. McMahon says, look, there's uh, we got WrestleMania 3 coming up. Hulk Hogan's really big now. He really needs to wrestle the best. And McMahon convinces Andre to do the Hulk Hogan match at WrestleMania 3. And Andre, he agrees. He wants to do this. It'll be a big thing. But yeah, they needed a, the biggest, baddest villain they could possibly get to push Hulk Hogan absolutely to his peak and what he could do. And this WrestleMania 3 is more ambitious than all the other ones, even the biggest thing ever, WrestleMania 1. Vince McMahon says we've got a 90,000-person building in Pontiac, Michigan, and we could sell it out if it's Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant. They're talking about the Silver Dome here, which is... Weird to hear in today's setting, knowing that it was sold off for less than half a million dollars. <laughs> well, a little more than half a million dollars, but still. Fire sale, please get rid of the Silver Dome during the uh, bad times in Detroit. But they're talking about this like it's you know, it's Mecca, a 90,000-person building that we're going to sell out for wrestling on the heels of Hulk Hogan versus Under the Giant. Andre allies, this is all wrestling acting fun now. With Bobby the Brain Heenan. They used to call me Bobby the Brain when I was a kid. Because you were the most evil villain, as they describe him there? I think uh, (laughs) because my name was Bobby, and that was really all the incentive they needed. Done. Check. But Andre does something that he never really did in his career. He has been beloved throughout his wrestling career. But he turns total heel. He is... A bad guy, and he rips off Hogan's shirt, and Hogan puts Vic's vapor rub on his face. But Hogan said he didn't need it because he was feeling the moment. Andre the Giant is a full-on bad guy. Now, they made this out like this is the first time that they're going to meet in the ring. Super popular upstart Hulk Hogan against the giant man who's never lost a match. What's going to happen? Hogan's held the belt for like three years now or something. And yeah, Andre is undefeated ever. For 15 years of wrestling, he's undefeated. So to set them up, they've been buddies the whole time. But to set it up as a match, they have to turn it into good versus evil. They're obviously pushing Hogan, so he's the face. That means Andre's got to be the heel. They have this interview on Piper's Pit where he comes out with Bobby the Brain, and Hogan thinks it's the biggest betrayal ever. (laughs) Bobby the Brain, he's pitching it as, Andre's been jealous this whole time. You never gave him a title shot. He did everything for you, and he's never held that belt. And he challenges him, and Hulk's like, You can't do that, brother. We're friends. I won't fight you. And then Roddy, at the end, after... He's been gone through the full betrayal. Roddy Piper's like, What do you gotta do, Hogan? I'll wrestle him! The crowd goes wild. Man, Piper's Pit was the coolest. Yeah, one of my favorites. (laughs) The thing is, they've actually wrestled several times. 
and were often a tag team duo. They were friends. So if you were uh, looking at some of the non-televised traveling circuits and you were back in those days, and you remember those days, you've probably seen Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant wrestle more. You probably saw more in Andre the Giant's prime. And they were probably better matches than what we would come to see in WrestleMania 3. But that's the beauty of Vince McMahon's new WWF takeover. It happened before cable TV. The whole country didn't see it. Therefore, it didn't happen. They wouldn't let anybody talk about it. They said, no, this is the first time they've ever... Shut up, shut up. And this is when little Bobby really gets into wrestling. Man, I love Hulk Hogan selling this fight, too. He's got a quote over there where they're pitching this fight where they seal the deal and they sign the contract to fight each other for the championship at WrestleMania 3. When you ripped my shirt, you broke the heart of all the little Hulksters. It's a big morality play for the kids. Because Hulk Hogan was their best friend, even though in reality Hulk would try to like bone their mom. Hulk's blaming somebody else's thing. Oh, I can't believe Macho Man calls everyone brother. You're a Hulk Hogan. I can't believe Andre the Giant ripped my shirt. That's all you do every match. <laughs> but it's amazing in the in the big act that is sports entertainment. Now Vince knows that Andre is in a lot of pain. Andre knows Andre is in a lot of pain. Duh. But he's not telling Hogan exactly what's going on. But he's walking with a cane at this point. He's not even telling Hogan what he's going to do. And Hulk Hogan is legitimately paranoid that Andre won't put him over. And Andre is fucking with him, which is hilarious. This might be one of my favorite parts where Hulk Hogan's so nervous. He's already a big star, but he knows that this is going to be one of the biggest deals in his career. And it's true. Hulk Hogan had been around a while, but this was the match that really made me pay attention to, like, Hulkamania and all that bullshit. This is the biggest wrestling match ever. Andre's just telling them that Andre's going to do what Andre wants. I'll do what I want. And Hulk's like, God, oh, God. He's coming to McMahon every day, Vince. You got to tell him, is he going to do it for me? Because he won't ask Andre straight up. Because he respects him too much. That's what Hogan says. And the fans... They're not sure what to think. You can't imagine Hulk Hogan losing because he's built up to be the good guy, the great hero of wrestling right now. You can't imagine him losing a match, but you can't imagine Andre the Giant being beaten by anybody. So this is this huge, huge buildup while Andre is walking around on a cane and not telling anybody what he's going to do. Hogan says that he never, he does not remember Vince McMahon ever saying whether or not he was going to win this match. The most amazing moment in this whole documentary for me Again, sports nuts here, talking all your sports stuff. This moment, this incredible behind-the-scenes story that I don't think we've ever gotten to look at, those smaller stories around the bigger stories that I like to talk about on 30 for 30s. Hulk Hogan apparently scripts the entire match on a yellow legal pad that he grabs from Vince McMahon the night before the fight. It's like this, brother. He just takes it, he writes out the entire match, except the ending, because he still doesn't know what Andre's going to do. So he writes out the entire ma- punch by punch, word by word, exactly the entire match is scripted by Hulk Hogan himself, which is wild. I had no idea that stuff like that happened. You know, I hate to ruin anybody's illusion here if they think wrestling is still real. The title match is in real, Drew. <laughs> All right? I hate to be the spoiler on this one. <laughs> but that's so cool to see. And then he gives this legal pad to McMahon to take to Andre to write the ending. And he doesn't get it back. Hogan has no idea what's going on. Vince is playing into Andre's fucking with him. And Andre's not, he's in a lot of pain, but he's not sweating this at all. He's sitting there drinking a bottle of wine and playing cards like he does always. The match happens. The day comes down. On the walk up to the ring, Hulk Hogan 
has a great quote here. It was so loud, my jaw watered. What? I think he said his jaws were crying. <laughs> it was so loud in the Silver Dome that his jaw was watering, which is... Since that's never happened to me, I guess that's pretty fucking loud. The match starts, and Hogan is relieved to find out very quickly that it does seem like the script is in play. Follows everything in the script. Goes exactly the way it was planned out. But Andre is barely moving. His back is in such pain. And when you know that, watching this match becomes painful. We were watching this with Angela. She was crying during this. This guy's back is totaled, and one of the big things that occurs in this match and I think he's the only one that does it throughout Andre's career, is that Hulk Hogan body slams Andre the Giant. He still didn't know the ending to this match. He never got back the script with the ending. So they go through the script, and then Andre tells him to slam him. He says, slam. And Hulk Hogan does it. He picks him up. He slams Andre the Giant. Then Andre says, leg drop, which is Hulk Hogan's big finishing move at the time. So Andre does it. He does. He works it. He puts Hogan over. It's it's very cool. But yeah, it was uh, it was getting a little misty in there. Yeah, knowing what he was going through at the time, how how much they had done in the script to limit the visibility of his obvious lack of mobility at this time. They do the, They talk about the extremely long bear hug move where Andre just holds Hogan in a giant bear hug. They say normally that move, Hogan would try to jump up on him or do some moves like that, but instead he just holds it straight up as he possibly can because <laughs> he didn't want to jump onto Andre's back or anything. Yeah. Still a cool movement. You look like he's crushing the life out of Hogan. They pick his arm up, and then the third time it doesn't fall. <laughs> and he starts pumping up, and the crowd gets crazy. His head starts shaking about like a Hulkamaniac. And then he knocks Andre down, and everyone's blown away that Andre has been knocked off his feet. And that's when Andre tells him to slam him. When I think of Hulk Hogan, I mean, there's a lot of ways you can think of Hulk Hogan. Gawker <laughs> trial, um, sex tapes, that Hogan knows best, that horrible show, his son uh, driving drunk and getting his friend like heavily uh, brain damaged. But my brain always goes back to WrestleMania. Although, to be honest, we couldn't afford like pay-per-view and shit when I was a kid. So I'd probably actually watch this match like three years later on a, on a VHS that I borrowed from another kid's house. I'm with you. You still heard about it. You heard about it. And you it knew was Hulkamania was running wild. Absolutely. Brother. Brother. <laughs> Hogan pops into a stratosphere, and he pretty much stays there. He's still one of the biggest wrestlers of all time. This is Andre the Giant's first loss in his wrestling career. And he's full evil heel. What a it. moment. I mean, what a moment for Hulk Hogan. His, like you said, his fame just explodes here. And the wrestling fans, they got what they came for. But unfortunately, Andre's career kind of spirals out a bit. And he was trapped in that heel mode. He would go places and people would boo him. Throughout the most of his career, people loved him. He was happy to do it for that match, but Andre wasn't... He didn't like being a heel. It wasn't his, his go-to. And especially because... That same way where he could not ever hide. He couldn't ever not be Andre the Giant. Now he's Andre the Giant that everyone hates because of his in-character part. So that's even tougher for him. He's still growing. What the fuck? He's still, still growing. growing. He's 525 pounds now at some point, they say. Because he's still growing and all these health problems, he eventually just could not perform. And like many great athletes we've seen over the years, it... it it becomes very hard for them to quit that game. And he eventually has to get forced out. And he said he hated retirement. 
He couldn't deal with that mini retirement where he just came in to kind of show his face as a guest, but not actually wrestle. He hated that. Then he hated being completely out of the game even more. McMahon says that after his career was over, he felt like he had no value to himself and that Andre resented him. And Andre basically pointed to Vince McMahon for ruining his career and using him. And, you know, yeah, Vince McMahon definitely did use him because that is a cornerstone of Vince McMahon's wrestling dominance to this day. But at the same time, Andre is falling apart and he's staying in to his own will and stubbornness, which we see is great because of all this pain he was going through, but he simply just could not go on. And I'm sure it was very hard for his de facto family in North Carolina and his daughters and his families back in France to, to just see him falling apart like that. It was very hard for the other wrestlers as well. They were getting a glimpse of their own mortality. Plus, they always kind of looked at Andre as their leader. Because he was always the one who kept people in line. Again, nobody got out of line with Andre. He was kind of the original, the first super superstar. Although they do throw back, they talk about Hulk Hogan kind of taking personality from superstar Billy Graham and other early wrestling superstars like that. He was their leader, they say. And it sucks watching him go into this retirement against his will. They gloss over a lot of this late career Andre the Giant part. Sure. But those matches... After WrestleMania 3, he was already so diminished there. After that, they said there were matches he could barely move. He had to hold the rope the entire time just to stay upright. Later, he did pretty much only tag matches, so he could basically stand in one spot being intimidating while his partner did the actual wrestling. Yeah, the partner just so whipped the guy into him and... Andre manhandles and goes back over. This is also the time frame that is not covered in the documentary, but Andre gets arrested for assault, which is terrifying when you think about it. (laughs) But it's after a match that he lost in, I think, less than a minute. I think it was to the Ultimate Warrior, actually, if I'm remembering right. Takes out a cameraman afterwards, smashes his camera, gets called with assault (laughs) and mischief for destroying the camera. And then they try to arrest Andre, and they can barely fit him into the squad car. They're about to call a police van to take Andre the Giant away, and they finally get him into the cop car sideways. So none of this is covered in the documentary. Again, the documentary is very, uh, I don't want to say fawning, but it's very, you know, very pro-Andre the Giant. And it does a great job. Sure. Showing the career of this man. It doesn't need to get into all of the trials and tribulations of late stage Andre the Giant. Well, I think at this stage, everyone is very pro Andre the Giant. Even his daughter, who has probably legitimate reason to not like the guy very much. Even she is like, you know, it just was how it was. There's a lot of regret, but I forgive him, you know. You'll get a lot of stories the other way, too. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's bigger than literally everyone else with a massive drinking problem. There's some not great moments, too. I'm sure there were, (laughs) for sure. But those aren't really addressed here. But we just get to see this this kind of sadness again. We had this giant moment with its swelling music as Andre played to the crowd and gave Hulk Hogan his giant bump, which ended up being the bump that Vince McMahon really needed to have this WWF thing take off as the national brand. They both reached new heights of their own celebrity through this match. And it didn't, the payoff really wasn't there for Andre, though. In the end, his, he just had pain. And he would find himself back in France because his father would pass away. We also meet his brother, Jacques the Giant, and who shows off. He's not a giant. Well, no, it's just their last names, right? <laughs> oh, um, yes, yes, the Giants family. Well, it's his last name, not the Giant. <laughs> Well, 
But he shows off a chair that Andre's mother made for him, like a special chair that looks like me, you, and one other person could sit in it. And I'm not a small man. You have a tiny, cute butt. (laughs) Again, it's getting a little misty here, seeing old family photos of Andre the Giant just with his family, with his mother, with his father. His father ends up dying. He got to be there for his father's last moments. And then he decided to stay in France for a while, be with his family a little bit more. But even his family saw Andre and were like, oh, man. He's in bad shape. He came to see their father dying, but he looks like he's not great himself. One morning in Paris, uh, his family are waiting for him to come down for breakfast. He never comes down, and they end up having to get uh, officials to come break the door down where they discover that he died of a heart attack in bed at the age of 46 years old. And uh, we see Tim with great regret not being able to be with his best friend in those final moments. That's been a while now that the world hasn't had under the Giants, but he still seems really fresh in the memory. Not just because The Princess Bride is still a pretty watchable movie. Yeah, it still holds up. And also because he was just this, I hate to say it, but he was a larger-than-life figure. (laughs) Yeah, that's so lame. I see what you did there. (laughs) I'm not trying to. I want to come up with a different way to say it. (laughs) But it just works, okay? (laughs) He was Andre the Giant. There hasn't been another one like him. They have, you know, there's the big show. There's Kevin Nash. You've got huge wrestlers. Chris Benoit. Later. <laughs> Man, they asked Vince McMahon. <laughs> really a shitty question. They ask him, was Andre's passing more difficult than other passings in your that you've been a part of? And look, we all know that there's a long, long list of wrestlers who've died young. Yeah. These guys did not have great lifestyles. Most of them were getting pumped full of steroids. What is he asking him? Was this tougher than a Chris Benoit's a nice, peaceful death? <laughs> they should have just went down the list. Like, we just want to ask about all these dead wrestlers. Yeah, how's the Macho Man doing? How's Miss Elizabeth doing? Owen Hart. <laughs> Junkyard Dog. How do you feel about Jimmy Snuka killing his uh, girlfriend? Oh, man. But uh, Vince really blows past that question pretty easily. Which... <laughs> well, Vince says, he goes, I get rid of negatives. If something hurts me, I get rid of it. But he is made to think about this, and he does seem to get a little quivery. Yeah, I don't know if he's getting past that negative so easily. But a uh, talent of his or whatever. You know, my grandma once said that. And, you know, it's that explains a lot with Vince McMahon. Cause when, that he's actually your grandma? I have a theory. <laughs> but when painful moments happen they don't just affect you they also can affect the people closest in your life when you make yourself ignore these things and forget about these things you're making it all about yourself when it should be about the people you love that are being hurt at the same time that probably explains a lot of Vince McMahon's reputation right there you gotta hand it to him for at least being honest about being a a self-liar Andre left his entire estate to his daughter which they say in a little postscript here in the movie. Which is kind of surprising again, because they, they really only mention her in passing, and you never get the idea that they have this great relationship. But they did have a relationship. And he does leave his entire estate, everything he owns, sole beneficiary to his daughter. I wonder if she still got it. And they bring his ashes back to North Carolina. Yeah, I was kind of surprised at that. Maybe take his, uh, I thought maybe they had to fly it from France, too. Figure they put him in the old the family farm in Moliere. It was probably a pretty big pile of ashes, so maybe pounds. there was enough to go around <laughs> two different continents. What well, about those people who was uh, his surrogate family who was living in his house? His daughter probably just kicked them all out, right? Oh, you love my dad? Uh, get out. This is my house. <laughs> I'm sure she, they were actually probably very helpful to her. I'm sure. I'm sure. She's some West Coast kid. Is like, 
I, I got a farm. <laughs> Please stay. Sure's farm. <laughs> it was really special to Andre. It was the only place he could kind of not be Andre the Giant for a little while. And that pretty much brings us to the end of the movie. But I want to hit you with one fact, a sham fact, if you will. Andre died in 1993 on my birthday, January 27th. Coincidence? Wait, huh? You're so many years old in 1993. 93, I am... Was uh, it your birthday wish, Bobby? <laughs> was that your birthday wish? 12 years old, I think. <laughs> hmm. I, I was wrapped up in that Hulkamania stuff. I might have literally thought he was evil. I, I'm not sure. Oh, man. Just wrong. Especially after watching this movie and kind of uh, falling in love a little bit with Andre the Giant again. I'm a little upset they didn't interview me for this movie. <laughs> if they had known that that was my birthday, I'm sure they would have thrown me a line or something. Yeah, I'm sure. But that's it. Fresh off the presses, Andre the Giant documentary. No, Drew... We don't we don't rate in star ratings. Even calling a Andre the Giant a superstar kind of makes me cringe. I'd prefer to call him a super herzog, but that would just confuse the peons out there who don't understand the great work we do. But we rate documentary films in herzogs. You're going to give this one through five herzogs. I'm going to give this one through five herzogs. Combine them. Best out of ten herzogs. Start us off, Drew. What are your thoughts on this movie, Andre the Giant? I'm happy we got to watch this, man. This documentary was kind of a big deal when it came out. HBO documentary on Andre the Giant. I was looking forward to watching it just by myself. And when you said we should do another hot off the presses documenteers edition, like we did with the two Bills during Super Bowl week. Hell yeah. That sounds like a great idea. Let's make it happen. Let's watch this Andre the Giant documentary. And I learned a lot of stuff that I did not know before about the career of Andre the Giant. It was an entertaining movie. It was. I would say this was a good documentary. Never found it really dragging or anything. I think it did. It did gloss over a lot of his life. It definitely did that. There weren't quite as many highlights as I would like to see. Again, you're talking about a guy who could do things that nobody else could. We get to see him body slam a whole lot of really big dudes and make them look like really small dudes. We watched him lift a thing that had the number 2000 painted on it. <laughs> Feats of strength. <laughs> we watch him slam the hell out of the Iron Sheik. He apparently had a lot of fun doing that. <laughs> the Iron Sheik, still around, still kind of a loudmouth. Jabroni. No doubt. This is catchphrase now. But man, that Hulk Hogan scripting the entire match for WrestleMania 3 and not knowing what the ending was until in ring, Andre told him to slam him and then do the leg drop. That's amazing. That's super cool footage. Just a great story. It pretty much blew me away. I liked the rest of it too. I really enjoyed getting to see where he came from and who he surrounded himself with. Kind of the choices that Andre made. I like that it was bookended as a fancy French documentary. It starts out very early in the documentary. We're talking subtitles in France, talking to his brother. And then at the end of the movie, The Giants, where he dies in France, back in French, more subtitles, talking to his family, seeing old photo albums. Very cool stuff. But I like the most that they kind of, I don't think they ever came out and said it as one thing. They might have said a couple of the words or implied it, but this guy didn't need, he changed the face of wrestling just by being himself. He had no costumes. They mentioned they never had to paint his face or anything. There were no costumes for Under the Giant. He didn't win belts. He was not the champion. He has a nice quote. He doesn't need to be the champion because he's already the giant, which I thought was just so cool and so powerful. He doesn't need costumes. He doesn't need belts. He just needs to be the giant. 
And that's the only time he really took offense was when other people tried to be the Giants. Yeah. <laughs> he said, no. Don't walk over that top rope. I'm dude. the Giant. I will <laughs> show you immediately. Four hurt sucks. You're a tough grader. So I know four is very good coming from you. It is awfully fresh, too. So I'm still feeling that little, uh, that giant euphoria right now. Yeah. I'm in the same. This is the first movie that we've done in any documentaries episode where we're recording just after watching it. And that's just the nature of it when we want to get them hot, fresh baked documentaries to you faster. We definitely want to go through these classics. And we got some classics coming down the pike. But it, I'm very excited to drop this recent documentary while it's still on everyone's mind and mouth. This one just came out. We were excited to watch it. We both have very busy schedules amongst our professional obligations and the Preds playoff run. Yeah, that's very important. Baseball season. We got a lot going on right now, but we've managed to make our schedules work, get in here to Shamco Studios. Eh? I remember right. the name for once. All right. Watched Andre the Giant, and now we're talking about it. And you know what? Having a good time. It was a pleasure watching this movie. I really enjoyed it. And it definitely played some things very hard, like not unlike a wrestling match. But it really did move me when it was meant to move me, excited me when it meant to excite me. And revisiting that Hulk Hogan-Andre the Giant match, that was such a big deal for not only me as a kid, but for a lot of little, little country-ass kids out in the world. That was just so major to even hear about it was exciting. Like I said, I probably didn't watch it except on a taped off VHS three years later. That's just how it was. But you couldn't help but get wrapped up in that. Of course, The Princess Bride, the movie's still great. It still holds up. It's still tons of fun. And there's a good reason why that movie is cherished by so many people to this day. And revisiting that Hogan-Andre match, just what I know now and what Andre was going through, it was rough watching him hit that mat and get slammed. And it's the contrast of my adult understanding with my childhood wonderment. Seeing these scenes is so different, but it still seems powerful in a completely different way than when I was a kid. Because this guy was in such pain and yet had such a will and such a passion for doing what he was doing, despite being in more pain than most any man can handle, he still wanted to go out there and he still wanted to wrestle. And it's just unfortunate that it kind of fizzled out the way it did. But I think in the long run, uh, the memory of Andre the Giant and where he stands in people's hearts is huge again. I think he is the hero again that he was early in his career. And yeah, this movie really wanted to sell that and it succeeded. I'm always fascinated by these classic wrestlers from my childhood. Andre the Giant is no exception. He's on this movie most of the time, and I never got tired of looking at him. This movie's about 90 minutes long. It felt like it went by pretty quick to me. Jerry, I'm going to give this film 4.75 Herzogs. Not quite perfect on my end, but very close. You're really going to nitpick a movie about Andre the Giant with a goddamn fraction. But boy, what a score. 8.75 out of 10 Herzogs, we've had... Andre would be disgusted by your fractions. He would rap. He's a whole number type of fractions, guy. Fractions, whole numbers. You five. did so good through this, most of the documentary. <laughs> five, five, five. All right, Andre. All right. Five Herzogs. All right? I'm going to give this movie five Herzogs. Thank you, Ghost of Andre the Giant. He's with me always. It's a little heavy. <laughs> 
Yeah. Watch out. Nine out of ten hurt songs. What a pleasure it was to watch this movie. And Drew, I'm glad I got to watch it with you. Thanks, buddy. Good times. That's the biggest compliment I can give to this documentary, is that I enjoyed every minute of watching it. It was never a chore. It never felt like someone was trying to force feed me footage or a point. It wasn't, you know, a whole bunch of interviews in the same room. It had a lot of people being interviewed, but it did a good job of interspersing them throughout the movie to keep the flow moving, to keep the tone going. And everybody in it should have been in it. They filled out great points. Yeah, it didn't really seem like anything was wasted. The basic stuff was still moving things along very well. That does it. Nine out of ten Herzogs for Andre the Giant by Michael Buble meets Madison Square Garden co-director Jason Here. What would Andre the Giant think of Michael Buble meets Madison Square Garden? I mean, in my mind, he's kicking the shit out of him. Hell yeah, in the world's most famous arena. But the thing is about Michael Buble is that when it comes to Andre the Giant, he hasn't met him yet. <laughs> he here. Oh, God, we better get the fuck out of here. Love us like we love this Andre the Giant film by giving us five stars and a brief review on iTunes. That does a lot to help us out. It really helps us to find our audience. And if you've been listening to us and you haven't given us the five stars or thrown us a line, do that. Cost you nothing, just a little bit of your time. And it really helps out schmucks like us make it in the big city. Follow us on at Documenteers on Instagram. I was lectured that I should have a, a, a Facebook fan page. You're probably right. I just really fucking hate social media. But I'm pretty good with Instagram, so follow us at Documenteers. And if more social media pops up, I'll let you know. If you want to yell at me like a wrestling promo in words, you can email us at documenteerspodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear suggestions. Long form Werner Herzog erotica. Uh, if, you, if you send me some Werner Herzog erotica, Maybe I'll read it on air. If you film yourself in an episode of Piper's Pit yelling about documenteers, hell yeah. You will be guaranteed to have your email read if you do that. Maybe videotape it. We'll put you on. You'll make a Facebook page just so you can show that. How about that? And I've been wanting to do this every episode. I'm so bad about self-promotion and shit and promoting others. But thank you to A2 who did our original theme song. I love our theme song. It's good stuff. We get to hear it every time. Thanks for having me on once again. If you want to hear about some what's going on in the sports world currently, you can tune in to Walk It Off every Sunday night right here in Nashville at WXNA 101.5 FM or online anywhere in the world at WXNAFM.org. Even Madagascar? Anywhere. Anywhere that has an internet connection, I guess. Cool. So as long as you got some internets, you can be at the bottom of the ocean. And still listen to some radio. Walk it off. You want to know what's going on in the NBA playoffs at the bottom of the ocean? You think the Sixers are going to go all the way this year? I don't think they can lose anymore. Process worked. I think the East Coast, Eastern Conference, kind of a toss-up at the moment. West has all the best teams. Really wanted to see the entire Northwest Division make the playoffs. That would have been pretty fun. (laughs) But it came down to an extra playing game. We basically got an extra playoff game, and that game went to overtime. Cool stuff in basketball. Cool stuff in hockey. Baseball started. Great time to be a sports fan. Everything's going on right now. Hell, there was even just a WrestleMania. I'm trying to get ahead on my editing schedule so I can devote at least a couple weeks to some playoff sports. So check it out. Any of those social medias too, at Walk It Off Radio. Thanks again to the Documenteers for having us on. Let's do go back to some 30 for 30s after this. But it was fun doing some hot off the presses under the giant dock. We will definitely get to that long list of 30 for 30s. But in the meantime, if you suffer from gigantism, Uh, Let the doctor treat you, please. And...
keep on docking. See, I told you it was going to be fun. <laughs> I've been honestly waiting to do this to you. Since, since really. like fucking 4 p.m. <laughs> in my head, like, oh, we're going to been holding that for hours. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I agree to these things?